Chris Hansen, the journalist who created the televised series To Catch a Predator, warns that the problem of adults preying on children for sex is growing at an alarming rate. Hello, I'm investigative reporter Robert Riggs with disturbing information from inside the crime scene tape about how our most precious human beings, our children, are being abused and exploited. The journalism community has honored Chris Hansen with 10 Emmys and five Edward R. Murrow Reporting Awards. Over the years, we crossed paths as each of us shined the light on sexual predators. Chris has broken stories worldwide and is launching a new series, True Crime Nation, on the True Blue streaming network. Before we talk about crime trends that he explores in True Crime Nation, we want to help you understand from our reporting experience what you can do to protect your children from sexual predators. Here's my interview with Chris Hansen. So, Chris, I so remember your landmark work with To Catch a Predator, in which, you know, you really peel back the, the curtain on uh, sex predators, and you, sh- you showed how 400 men were attempting to have sex with children. What's, what do you think the state of that abuse is today in the, in the U.S. and the world? Well, I think it's only gotten worse, Robert. I'm sad to say in the beginning, I thought we'd do this sort of an investigative story once, twice, maybe three times, and, and nobody would ever show up. But we started at a time when we merely had decoys in chat rooms on AOL and Yahoo. And now, as you know... There has been an explosion in the number of social media platforms upon which adults can can approach children. And so this activity is more prevalent than ever. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has reported that during the peak of the pandemic, inappropriate contacts between adults and children, predatory contacts, as well as the transmission of inappropriate material between adults and children shot up something like 900%. So... Not only is the activity more prevalent, it's more diffuse, it's in more areas, and it becomes harder to detect and to catch the people responsible. Did you ever get a sense of what was wrong with these men? What's going on in our society? That I mean, to me, this was the most evil thing, to take advantage of a child. And it's still going on. I mean, we did yes. an investigation just a few weeks ago. We were in, in Florida. We've been in Michigan. We're in the Midwest and other places, down in your neck of the woods in Texas soon, West Coast. And these guys actually will mention in the chat with the decoy, is this a Chris Hansen deal? Or is this Sheriff so-and-so who's active in this space? And the decoy obviously says, well, I don't know who that is. And the guy shows up anyway. And then instead of running necessarily, as they usually do when they see me, they sit and talk almost as if they understand how the show is supposed to work. And they're going to either spin it so they can try to explain to me how they weren't really going to rape a child, how they're there perhaps just as a good Samaritan or whatever the story is, or they break down and tell me what's really going on and why they were there. And while I'm not a therapist, 
and certainly don't have expertise in this field. In my experience, these guys break down into three different categories. There's a, a hardcore heavy hitter pedophile predator who would be doing this with or without the internet. This would be the bad little league coach, the guy who hangs out at the food court at the mall or the playground, and he's preying on children. He's wired that way for whatever reason. Then there's this group of younger guys who are in their 20s, socially inept, anxious around people they want to date. And they get hooked into this internet culture where they will say things online they wouldn't say face to face. And they start to think that this is really more of a Romeo and Juliet situation. And there's only four, five, six, seven years difference. And at some point, if this works out, they'll be within a reasonable age gap. And they offend. They set up a date with somebody who's too young and they get caught. Now, a guy like that, in many cases, can get wrapped on the nose, probation, registration, monitoring, and quite honestly, probably never offend again. And I see this all the time because we follow these cases in my podcast, Predators I've Caught. And then you have this third category in the middle, these guys who have a predilection towards having sex with a younger child, a boy or girl, but wouldn't act on it without the internet, the addictive nature, the 24-7 access, and the anonymity, as I mentioned earlier. And they, they get going and they develop this obsession and they blur the line between fantasy and reality. And the next thing you know, they're knocking at our door. And these guys are the more complicated ones to treat or punish because they walk among us. They don't stand out of a crowd. They don't have the word predator tattooed on their forehead. They're the guys standing next to you at the grocery store on a Saturday morning. They're the doctor, the teacher, the lawyer, the law enforcement officer. We call it a cop in one of the most recent stings. It's, it still continues. 18 years after the very first predator investigation, it, it still stuns me, Robert, that this activity takes place. These guys are out there and it's very difficult to create a deterrence except for what we do, which also creates awareness and a dialogue, I think, that is important for parents to have with their children. You know, I was doing this reporting back in 1998, did a series, number of series, was in and out of the Texas prison system. But I do remember interviewing the the FBI agent who was in charge of the sexual predators, you know, crimes against children. And he expressed alarm then about what the Internet was going to do, that suddenly these offenders could congregate together. They could uh, uh, suddenly feel that that what they were doing was OK, that they were like minded people. And he was very alarmed. And of course, here we are today. Is there anything we can do internet-wise? Because you, I just see it proliferating across the internet. Well, I, I agree with you. And it's very hard. The internet, as you know, is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It doesn't matter whether you're in China or East Berlin or New York City or Dallas, Texas. You have access. I mean, you want to think that your kids are safe in spots like Instagram and TikTok and all the rest. But the reality is they're not. We have a case that we're about to report on on my new crime streaming network, True Blue, where a 12-year-old girl was approached in Michigan on Instagram by a man in Florida. He was able to groom her and create a relationship uh, after meeting on Instagram, going to direct messaging, then going to texting, where he flew from Florida to Michigan, mid-Michigan, 
had her climb out the window of her bedroom, sneak over to a church parking lot, got in his rental car, took her to a hotel, sexually assaulted her. She went to the hospital the next day. She's 12. Of course, she's going to be injured. And they backtrack this story. The sheriff's department, Genesee County, gets the surveillance video from the hotel and they piece this case together. They go grab the guy in Florida. He confesses to at least two other similar incidents, right? And here's, you think your kids are safe on Instagram. It's like Facebook, you know, Snapchat or any of the others. And the reality is the predators know that and they become so adept at breaking down the traditional barriers we have in society between children and adults and the grooming. I go back in the podcast and reread the transcripts. And so much of this, as you know, as a reporter, happens on the fly. You know, I have the transcripts. I have background of the guy. But, you know, you have a limited space and time to, to get inside this guy's head. And I try to do that as it's actually happening, as the guy is in the, the sting house. But when I go back to do the podcast, I can immerse myself in all of this material. And a pattern develops where you see these guys groom and try to establish a relationship with a child. And they probe, have you done this? Do you have a boyfriend? You're so pretty. I can't imagine you not having a boyfriend. Do you ever think about older guys? I'm 48. Is that too old for you? And you see this chipping away at the wall. Now, the decoys are very practiced at dealing with this and acting as if they were actually a 13, 14-year-old child. But these guys, it's almost like they go to a school someplace and learn how to groom this way. When you and I were kids, the rule was don't talk to strangers. And that is a good rule today as well. The problem is the guy who's a stranger on a Tuesday may be so adept at grooming that he's not a stranger on Friday, then he's knocking on your kid's door. You know, back in, uh, again in the late 90s when I was reporting on this, I'll never forget, I was the first and only reporter to, in television allowed to sit in on uh, therapy sessions in the prison system of sex offenders. That's fascinating. Child sex offenders. Fascinating. Uh, the the rule was we couldn't identify their face sure. and couldn't give their name. But I absolutely was stunned when I heard the stories and you suddenly realize there were so many other victims and other crimes they had not been convicted of. They'd been there for one. But the other thing that was interesting was the grooming. They groomed parents. They groomed single moms to get at their kids. But I take it with the Internet now. You could just groom the child in one-on-one, individually. You don't have to do this whole thing with the parents or be an authority figure. It's about, to the predator, it's about finding the vulnerability. And, and we do these stories, obviously, you know, in the sting investigation fashion. But I see it all over the place now, and it all links back to the internet. For instance, we have a uh, investigation coming up on True Blue uh, in the next week or so on uh, a fellow called the, we've called him the Facebook fiend. And this guy knew how to identify and prey upon a vulnerable set of young women, romance them, get money from them, and then in many cases, assault them physically and sexually. And the good news, there's no good news, but, but the, the, the piece of justice here is that some of these young women who were approached by this guy 
came to me on social media and I started to hear the same story over and over again. So we interviewed these women and we got their stories and I encouraged them to go to law enforcement. And now this guy who's done this dozens of times and we have it documented, there's an active warrant for his arrest and they're going to pick him up and he's going to face justice because these women felt emboldened by reporting like the reporting you do and I do to come forward and, and identify this guy. And that's the benefit of having a streaming crime network. I don't have to have 22 meetings, an A meeting, a B meeting, and all the bureaucracy that you and I know goes into a larger network situation. I identify a story, we flesh it out, the team gets into it, and we go shoot it. So we turn things around in a matter of weeks, uh, like you do in your setup, um, that would normally take you know a year to do. And we can create an environment of, of, of justice for some of these victims. But it happens in financial crimes. There's a woman right now out there who's got two restaurants that she funded by scamming wealthy people, including Jumana Kidd, who's the ex-wife of, of your basketball coach there in Dallas, of $3 million posing as a personal assistant. This woman, Tracy Hutsana, has got restaurants now in San Diego and in Phoenix that she has put together with her husband with the ill-gotten gains of these scams. And these are things that we can track and trace and put them together in a much quicker way than, than I've been used to in the past. So it's, it's, but it, it's, it all links back to a confidence game and targeting the vulnerable. Chris, I want to give our listeners, viewers, a sense of just how smart these predators are. Uh, you know, I sat in a maximum security unit in a cell with uh, a serial offender, uh, entire career. And, you know, I'd learned a technique from John Douglas, the uh, pioneer of sure. profiling at the FBI that John had kind of had taught me and schooled me on. It was like, look, Robert, this sounds sick, but look, just be sympathetic. Don't be judgmental. And you don't, you know, you know, and it really served me in the prison system. They would open up and suddenly he thought I was his friend. Oh, yeah. And he reaches into a hiding place and he pulls out a book, a freaking manual mm. that he had created about how to do it. Sure. And how to he he'd even cut pictures out of magazines of kids. And he said there was a look you needed to look for this look and stuff. And he gave me the manual. And then, oh. I, of course, I gave it to the FBI at Quantico to use in teaching. Oh, yeah. But talk for a moment for to parents of how you should school your kids. Uh, you know, it's not just stranger danger. you got to go farther than that. Well, I think you have to start. And, in, in, you know, like you said, these guys are smart. And uh, when you talk to psychiatrists who do this work, who go into the prisons as you have and have the benefit of, of seeing this very frightening phenomenon, the offenders will tell them a couple of different things. One, if they got caught once, they had offended at least two or three other times, at least. Two, they will always say that there's a link between viewing child pornography and offending almost universally. And this comes from you know, a guy like Dr. Michael Burke, who works for the U.S. Marshals, and it comes from guys at the FBI who you and I both know. And, and you know this from your experience interviewing these guys. So what do you do as a parent? I think as a parent, you have to start 
with a discussion from the very moment they have access to the internet. And it's got to be an age-appropriate discussion. And it starts with, look, if you're going to be on the internet, doing schoolwork, having fun, uh, doing TikToks, whatever it is, you need to understand that there are adults out there who want to trick you. And kids don't like to be tricked. And it starts there. And as the child gets older, you have to ramp up the discussion and, and to say, hey, look, there are examples out there where a 14-year-old in, in Naples, Florida, who is a very popular TikTok content creator, was the target of an obsession by a young man in you know, the Northeast in Maryland who drove to her house and actually co-opted her fellow students to get information where this girl lived, shows up with a shotgun at the front door of their home in Naples, blows the door open. The dad is a retired cop from here in the New York City area. He comes out with his nine uh, millimeter and kills the guy. But what if the dad wasn't a cop? What if, you know, this guy just walked on a, into a regular household? He's going to shoot the family and take the kid. Look at this case from just this week where the former trooper from Virginia traveled all the way out to the Los Angeles area after being obsessed with the young girl he met online, killed the grandparents and the mom to get to this child and died in a blaze of gunfire with authorities out there just this past week or so. So you got to be careful not to scare the heck out of your kids. But I think you need to use some of these examples as they get older to say, look, you don't know who you're talking to. They may say they're a surfer dude guy, 14, 15 years old in San Diego, but there's nothing to say that he isn't a fat 56-year-old sitting in his mother's basement in his underwear surrounded by pizza boxes. That happens. I mean, you can kind of chuckle about that, but you know the profile. And unless you know that human being in real life, you don't know them just because they post a picture. And these guys, we saw it last month. We're, we're on a sting operation. And a guy says that he's 19 and he's visiting his uncle. Well, the guy's, you know, 60 some years old. He's trying to co-opt, seduce, and groom a 14-year-old boy or a decoy posing as a 14-year-old boy. Chris, let's pause for a break. And we'll be back and talk to you about the True Crime Nation uh, show that you're doing now. We're back with Chris Hansen, and we're going to talk about his new True Crime Nation show on True Blue Streaming Network. Uh, are you branching out into other type of crimes in your show now? Absolutely. I, I, you know, the Predator franchise is something that's important. It's iconic. And I think it, as I always say, creates awareness and a dialogue that's um, mandatory in our Internet society. But we're doing a lot of different crime-related stories on, on True Blue, which is the streaming network, and people can check it out at watchtrueblue.com. But within True Blue, we have a news magazine called True Crime Nation, where we are going to not only get into crimes as they happen, but also do some investigative reporting. For instance, we have an in-depth piece coming up on the uh, Club Q shootings uh, in Colorado, the shooter that went in and and targeted the LGBTQ bar. We're looking at the case of the woman from North Carolina who was killed in Mexico and unraveling that. 
And we're taking a look at these stories that are so compelling and so important to people who follow crime, especially, but taking them in depth, you know, getting some of the interviews that you won't see on the nightly news or, or anywhere else. So to me, the threshold is taking people into a story where they're going to hear things and see things they wouldn't hear or see anywhere else to take them on this journey of discovery. So if it's a story nobody knows about, that's great. We're going to educate them. But if it's a story that's out there, we're going to try to hear from people nobody else have heard from there. So that's that's the goal of a True Crime Nation. And, and I think the first episode will roll out um, first week of December. And then we'll, we'll get to the point where we're putting them out every week on uh, True Blue. So I'm excited about that. And it, it, you know, with, with the internet, you know, you can sometimes get these interviews from the studio, but I'm going to be out in the field as well reporting. And, um, you know, the great news is 40 years of crime reporting allows me to have access that perhaps some other people don't have. And so I can get into a town and I can find out information and, and, and have people trust and talk to me that who may not trust and talk to other people. And that's kind of been my, my motto all along, but it's really going to be a great opportunity with True Crime Nation to turn these stories and these shows around uh, on a weekly basis, ultimately. In the uh, Colorado shooting, the prosecutors have also filed charges for hate crime. Do you have any insights you can share with us that you have found that we haven't seen? Yeah, I, I think that, that uh, they have a good case for that. Um, clearly, that club was targeted because of its clientele. And there's information developing, and I've got some more interviews uh, when I finish up with you here, um, about why the shooter might have wanted to target that particular group, LGBTQ. And you never really know. With these, I mean, you see the Buffalo shooting, and obviously it was race-based, but you know, what makes a guy finally do something so horrible and violent? You know, could somebody really hate that? that deeply, that much, or what else is going on there? And in each case is so individually specific, but it makes for an interesting report as much as you can get into somebody's mind and, and figure out, you know, why the hell did this happen? And how does somebody have so much rage and hate? I mean, it goes beyond access to assault rifles, which is a whole issue in it of itself, as you know, of course. But it's, it's what possesses somebody to do this. What goes on in their head, in their mind, in their life to walk into a club where people are doing nothing but enjoying themselves and open fire, killing five people. I, I interviewed a guy who was shot nine times in this club, escaped through the back door, ran to a convenience store, called 911, then called his dad saying, I don't think I'm going to live you know, I love you. And thankfully he lived. I interviewed him from his hospital bed. And, you know, it, it just, it, it just never ceases to amaze me. The, the, the grit of these survivors, but also the, the fascination in, in, in the motivation of these criminals. And, and, you know, these stories, people always ask, why do you think crime stories and crime reporting is so so popular. Well, these stories are, you know, this, it's, they're old, as old as the Bible. It's good versus evil. And the more we can get into a criminal or predator's head and hear 
the voice of a victim. I think the better we can protect other people from becoming victims. And yes, there are wild, fantastic, interesting um, stories and yarns that we weave. But at the end of the day, it really is about protecting people and, and educating people how not to become a victim. And, and I think it's important. Well, I reported extensively on the Uvalde school shooting. Oh, the sure. Massacre. Yeah. You know, the, and I talked with uh, Catherine Schweit, the FBI agent yeah. and executive. Okay, very well. And, you know, she talks about there's an exponential increase going on. Absolutely. And, you know, like what what's happened in our society? What if that this is the this is the solution, the final solution? Well, I think it's a I think it's a toxic soup of things, you know, and I can't point to one one single point failure in society. But I think it's, you know, undoubtedly access to to to. Weapons of death. And I'm not an anti-gun guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I have to really question as to the appropriateness of us 18-year-old having an assault rifle. Can't buy a beer. Can't buy a pack of cigarettes. You know, you need a license for a car to drive a car. What the hell are you doing with an AR-15? I just don't get it. And I'm not some flaming liberal. I just don't think that, you know, kids are developed typically at the age of 18 to go in and buy a gun like that in many states. So there's that. But you can also kill with a handgun. You know, you can kill with a knife. You can kill with a lot of things. So what is the deeper, more root cause of this? Again, I don't think there's a single point failure. I think, you know, the Internet obviously allows people to get in contact with like-minded folks who are unwell in many different ways and who express violence and they find acceptance. I mean, this goes back to, you know, Tim McVeigh and Terry Nichols. Why did they blow up a federal building in Oklahoma City killing 168 people? Because they felt disaffected. They felt that they were going to become famous. They had a purpose. They were fighting for something. And I think it all comes down to some point, this disaffection, this wanting to be someone to prove yourself. And it often manifests itself in the commission of a large scale crime to get attention. Are you seeing uh, any new crime trends digging into your show? I see, and again, I hate to, you know, point everything towards the internet, and and you know, it's a it's a wonderful, fantastic thing that's here forever. But it has created just a litany of potential criminal activity because it's virtually impossible to monitor in a largely effective way. And, and so I think these things are going to continue to happen. The FBI, the police, the sheriff's departments of America do, do a fine job at trying to protect this. But it, 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 they can't do everything. You know, ICAC was doing stings like this on child predators before I even thought of it. Right. I didn't invent this. I just kind of put it together in a package that got a lot of attention and became, you know, culturally iconic in a way. But it has taught me that because law enforcement can't be everywhere, because this activity cannot be detected, that it's important to create awareness and to get people talking. And that's the kind of reporting that I, I try to do on True Blue and True Crime Nation and, and everything else I do. 
Chris, I want to thank you for bringing the awareness to the public. It's, uh, it can be hard to be a journalist these days. But once again, tell us where we can see your show and where, just to remind our listeners. The new crime streaming network, True Blue, T-R-U-B-L-U, is up now. You can get details at watchtrueblue.com. Within that, we will have the new Predator series, a lot of other crime reporting, and our new crime news magazine, True Crime Nation, which will premiere very soon. The podcast, Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen, is out every week. That's on every platform. And uh, between the two of those, that, that keeps me pretty busy, Robert. Chris, thank you for so much for joining us on True Crime Reporter. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was a, it was a true pleasure. I appreciate it. We want to be your favorite true crime podcast, so please recommend us to your friends and leave a review wherever you listen. If you want to receive updates and bonus interviews, join our true crime community at truecrimereporter.com. If you have suggestions or know of a case that we should look into, email us at fan at truecrimereporter.com. This podcast is a trademarked and copyrighted news organization based in Dallas, Texas. You can read more about our news team at truecrimereporter.com. Thanks for listening to our Journey into Darkness.